Do you love what God loves? This is the primary question of the book of Jonah. It was the primary question of Jonah's life, really. Do I love what God loves? Do I love what God loves? Turn with me in your Bible to Jonah. And if you haven't been to Jonah in a while, it might be hard for you to find. It's a minor prophet. It comes after like Isaiah and Ezekiel, but before Matthew. It's right between Obadiah and Micah. It's a minor prophet, not because the message is minor, but because it's just a statement of the length of the book. These are shorter books of these prophets. So it's a, it's a small book. I think there's like 40 verses total in this book. There's, there's not a lot here, but there is a lot here. Jonah struggled to love what God loves. We're going to see in today's text that the main idea from verses 1 through 3 is that God desires repentance. God loves repentance, and He desires repentance. That's what He wants from sinners, from rebels. He wants repentance, but not repentance for repentance' sake. Not to say that it's been done, but repentance because you're turning to Him. We can define repentance as turning from sin towards Christ. Turning from sin towards Christ It's not just feeling bad for sin. That's not repentance. Repentance is not just this feeling of remorse for your sin. It is a turning towards God. It's a saying yes to God as our leader, as our great treasure. God desires repentance because he loves people. When we ask, why does God want repentance? It's because he loves people. He's merciful to those who turn from sin because he loves his creation. He's not just powerful. He's loving. He desires fellowship with those who bear his image. To love what God loves means that we will love people. God loves people, so we love people if we love what he loves. Even those people who look like enemies. You might know that Jesus called us to that type of love. He said, you've heard Love your, love your friends, love your family. I say love your enemy. For a Christian, though, the sincerest form of love is a desire for repentance and forgiveness. A desire for repentance and forgiveness. To be forgiven by God. What's the best thing I could hope for you? It's that you might be forgiven by God. That you might have fellowship with God. There's nothing greater I can think of than fellowship with God. That has to be true for us Christians. (laughs) That our best thing is fellowship with God. One of the great reasons that people leave the faith is that they've never fellowshiped with God. That the great treasure of their Christian life has never been Christ. (laughs) Yeah, of course we're going to walk away from things that are not Christ. So that's what we do. We're, we're prone to even walk away from Christ in our blindness. But God has given us something so good in fellowship and relationship with Him. I want God to have what is His. Must be the rallying cry of every Christian. God, take what is yours. Take what is yours. 
I'll tell you, that's one of my greatest prayers for Wingate University. God, take what is yours. I think about the thousands of lives on that campus who were made in God's image, who are living for something other than God. I think, God, take what is yours. But not just for Wingate University, when, when we're at Wingate Elementary School, when, when we're at a restaurant, when, when, you're at, when I'm at your homes. And I think I said one time that um, we had hundreds of acres donated to Provision Church because Provision Church is made up of people with hundreds of homes. <laughs> and every one of your homes is God's. So I pray for your homes. God, take what is yours. Your family doesn't exist for you. Your family exists for God. Your job doesn't exist for you. Your job exists for God. God, take what is yours. When we have fellowship with God, we give Him everything. But sin stands in the way of that fellowship. Sin stands like an ocean between people and God. One side of the Pacific to the other. But God desires to draw close. God desires to remove that ocean, and He always has. The God of the Old Testament is the same God as the God of the New Testament. He didn't change. As a church, we just studied the letter from Paul to the Galatians, and and the God who inspired that word and gave it to us as a church is the same God who inspired and gave us the words here in Jonah. It is His word. Jonah is a testament to the kindness of God and his love for his people. It's a testament to his mercy and his goodness. And it's a testament to how often God's people lose sight of what God loves. You may be familiar with Jonah, right? When you think of Jonah, you probably associate him with a big fish. You've probably heard, if you've grown up in church, you've probably heard the story of Jonah and the big fish. It's a great Sunday school lesson. Well, there's so much more to Jonah than the fish that swallowed him out of the sea. As we look through these four chapters, I'm excited for us to look at the glory of God in this book of Jonah, in his story as a prophet. He was a prophet during the reign of King Jeroboam II in the 700s BC. That was his time frame. We actually learn about Jonah in 2 Kings. And I I, I bet a lot of you didn't know this, but Jonah is mentioned in 2 Kings. So it's not like Jonah is outside of the scope of the Bible. I mean, the Bible is happening in a real timeline here. And so Jonah is a real person who lived at a real time. In 2 Kings 14, we see this. This is 2 Kings. Kings 14, verse 23. If you've got your Bibles, you can even flip over to that. Second Kings. You can go back um, all the way before Psalms. Find Second Kings. Second Kings 14, and we're going to be in verse 23. Check out in verses 23 to 25. I'll give you some context here while, while we meet Jonah here in Second Kings chapter 14, verse 23. In the fifteenth year of Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria, and he reigned forty-one years, and he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, which he made Israel to sin. 
He restored the border of Israel from Lebo Hamath as far as the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel, which he spoke by his servant Jonah. He spoke it by the word of his servant Jonah here. So Jonah's here in, in uh, Jeroboam's kingdom prophesying, and it's, the son, it's Jonah, the son of Amittai the prophet. He was from Gath Hefer. For the Lord saw that there, uh, saw the affliction of Israel was very bitter, for there was none left, bond or free, and there was none to help Israel. So God saw the affliction of Israel, and he gave him his word. He sent a prophet. He gave them Jonah. So Jonah's here in Jeroboam's Israel. And even though Jeroboam did evil, Jonah had a pretty good gig here. If you look at the context of what's happening in Jonah's life, he was, he was really giving good news to the people. That's what God called him to do to the Israelites, to give them good news. He restored the border, and overall it was a peaceful and prosperous time for Israel. The Assyrians who were next door, where Nineveh was a city, I mean, they had other things keeping them busy. They weren't attacking Israel at this time. Israel was actually expanding its reign In Jonah's day, Israel had already been split in two. We see that they went from being judged by uh, Moses and then Joshua and then a series of judges who ruled over Israel. And then finally, after Samuel, there was a king given to Israel. And in the days of those kings, this is where we find Jonah. In those kings, the kingdom of Israel had been split into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And Jonah was in that northern kingdom. Assyria, where Nineveh was, was already sworn sworn enemies of Israel. But this was a time of peace. Israel was stronger, and Assyria wasn't an imminent threat. So everybody wants to be a prophet during good times. If you're getting to choose when to be a prophet, man, I'm taking Jonah's gig. This is not bad. I'm not having to go give a whole lot of bad news to anybody. Look what, hey, look what God's doing. This is fun. Everybody see the borders being restored. We're taking land, peace, prosperity. You can imagine that Jonah was well-liked, that Jonah was well-respected, and that he even had some authority being God's man in this time of peace and prosperity. Jonah was comfortable. Jonah was comfortable where he was. But God's plans for Jonah were not Jonah's plan for Jonah. Look at Jonah 1. We're going to look at Jonah 1, verses 1 through 3. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. God's desire is for repentance. His desire is for fellowship with his creation. And because his desire is for fellowship with creation, it leads to a compassionate commission. That's what we see here that he gives to Jonah in these first few verses of, of this recounting, this historical recounting, is he says he gives a compassionate commission to his servant Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. 
And what a powerful thing that the word of the Lord would have come to Jonah. When we think of miracles in the book of Jonah, the word of the Lord coming to Jonah is a miracle. It's not something that happens every day. It can only happen through the supernatural power of God. This is, this is a miracle, and maybe even greater than the other miracles we find in Jonah, that the word of the Lord would come to Jonah. What did the word of the Lord say to Jonah? What did he hear? It told, the word of the Lord told Jonah to go to Nineveh to call out against it. The Hebrew language there where it says call out against them really means that God wants Jonah to announce his judgment against Nineveh. So here you've got this guy in this prosperous land giving all this good news, and God comes to him and is like, I've got a new assignment for you. <laughs> I need you to go announce my judgment on an evil people. You've got to imagine Jonah, I, you know, you don't, we don't know where he's getting this word. Maybe he's, maybe he's waking up. Maybe he's getting in a dream. Maybe he's waking up. you got rubbing his eyes a little bit like, God, maybe I misunderstood you. <laughs> maybe, that's not, maybe that's not what I'm, maybe I didn't hear you right. Nineveh, Nineveh was an evil city. It had a reputation for brutality and decadence. It was great in size, it was great in wealth, and it was great in depravity. It's reasonable that Jonah would have felt even some fear to go announce judgment on a city like this. I mean, so many of you are in workplaces and in classrooms where if you were to say anything about the judgment of God on sin, you would worry about losing your job, losing your friends, maybe even physical harm. I mean, even more for Jonah, going into a city square, going in front of the powerful people in Nineveh. Nineveh was probably made up of about 120,000 people, which would have been unusual for the time. 120,000 is still a nice-sized city here in the United States. But here in, in this, in 700-and-something B.C., this is a really large city. And God sees these people, these 120,000 people with eternal souls that are lost in their sin and heaping judgment upon judgment on their heads sinning and sinning, lost in their sin, and in his sovereignty, he felt compassion for them. What a wonderful thing for our God to feel towards those who are in rebellion against him. Those who are heaping judgment upon themselves is that he feels compassion. He didn't desire for the Ninevites to be objects of wrath, but objects of salvation. So he acted out of mercy to save them. We see the mercy of God in proclaiming truth to the Ninevites. He sent a messenger to proclaim this truth. He sent Jonah to bring them to an awareness of their need. They needed to hear that their actions had consequences, that judgment was coming for their sin. And this is truly the first step of salvation, and it always is. A person cannot be saved who doesn't know he needs to be saved. This is why Jesus said that he came for the sick. He didn't come to save the healthy, those who don't know they need a doctor. He didn't, he didn't come to save the, the righteous. He came to save the unrighteous, the unclean, those who recognize their need. There's a humility. We know that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. God's word makes that clear in the letter Paul wrote to the Romans. 
We also know that the consequence of sin is death, that we earn a wage for our sin, and that sin earns us death. And because we know, we look for help. Right? God is our help, Christian. We recognize that we need help in this life, or we will have death. And we've been given help in Christ. He came for us and met our great need on the cross. He took our place. He bore our consequence. And because he bore our consequence, we also get to enjoy his victory. Why should I gain from his reward? I don't have a good answer. But I know with all my heart that he took my place on the cross. That he bore my consequence. Because he bore my consequence, I get to enjoy his victory. Because he didn't stay in the grave, he rose again, defeating death for good. I don't stay in the grave either. Death has been defeated for me as well. That I got to live with him forever. That the fellowship that I desire in this life will be perfected in the next one. God calls on us to repent and believe in order to be saved. And I wonder if sitting here today, you need to hear that there is judgment coming for your sin. Do you know there is judgment coming for your sin? So here's the question. If there is judgment coming for your sin, will you bear that judgment for your sin? Or by faith, will you trust Jesus to bear the judgment for your sin? That is the question. That is the question for us. Will we bear the judgment for our sin or by faith will Jesus bear the judgment for our sin? He has done everything needed to bear the judgment for your sin. And it's because of God's great compassion for you that you're hearing this today. This isn't a message of hate. This isn't a message of exclusion. This is a message of compassion and love. That one has come who can help you when you couldn't help yourself. One has come to your aid when you needed it most because he is full of mercy and full of grace. Because of that, you're hearing that your sin brings judgment on you. If they were going to turn to God, the Ninevites needed to hear the truth. God chose his servant Jonah and told him to go. I mean, consider this picture. Here is Jonah, an Israelite, one of God's chosen people, and a prophet at that. Not, not just one of the Israelites, a prophet among the Israelites who God is giving his word to. And he's given this compassionate commission called to go into a city full of pagans, known for their evil and depravity, to tell them how bad they are and how good God is. Not just any God, but how good his God is. Look, you guys are terrible. My God is awesome. You could see how that would be offensive. He walks in and says, hey guys, you're wrong about everything. (laughs) And you're all going to die. It's not going to be a popular message. And Jonah is used to being a popular guy. He certainly loved being liked. He certainly loved being comfortable. But did he love what God loves? Did Jonah love what God loves? I mean, Christians, the parallels here 
are too obvious, right? Are we not God's chosen people, the church? Have we not been given a compassionate commission to go? We talk about the Great Commission all the time here. I want to read it with you. Here in Matthew 28, Jesus is about to ascend. He's giving final instructions, and he says this in Matthew 28, verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Do you see that commission? The commission for his new covenant people comes from a heart of compassion. It's because God is a compassionate God that Matthew 28, 18 through 20 exists. It's because he looks on people and says, I want fellowship with you. I hate your in your sin. I want to be with you. I mean, turn back. I mean, if you're in Matthew 28, you can turn back. Matthew 9. Actually, go ahead and flip over to Matthew 9. This is a great one to underline. You should have it in your Bible if you like to underline your Bible. This is a good one. Matthew 9. Matthew 9, verse 36. We'll even go back to verse 35. Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. His kindness. Look at verse 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Pray for Jonah's. Pray for disciple makers. Pray for those who would be obedient to the great commission. He is a God of compassion. It is from his compassion. He looks out and see these harassed and helpless crowds and he says, I want to save you. I want you to know me. I want you to love me. There's a plentiful harvest, but where are the laborers? Pray for those laborers. Church, we are the laborers. Are we not those who God in his great compassion has sent out into a lost world who is harassed and hurting and who needs a savior? If not us, then who? The word of the Lord has come to us too. The word of the Lord came to Jonah as it did in days of old, in many, many ways and many times to, to prophets. But today has come through Christ, through his word. The word of the Lord has come to us too. We have God's word for each of us to be laborers in the harvest, to be praying for more laborers in the harvest, to announce the judgment of God. And now in Christ, not just judgment, but the great salvation that comes in Christ. Church, we've been given the responsibility to reproduce. That the church doesn't end with us, but the church continues through us. That we don't We don't see us as the last laborers, but we are just the next in line and we are praying for the next in line that more and more might be reached for the gospel. 
What God did uniquely through Jonah in the 8th century B.C., God does through every believer or desires to do through every believer today. He has made each of us ambassadors. He has called each of us to arise and go. It may be that God's call for you to go is living sent in the sphere of influence you already have. But don't rule out that God may be calling you to leave your city as well, like Jonah, that you may need to choose compassion over comfort. Like Jonah, we have a choice to make. And Jonah did famously make a choice. God said, go, Jonah. Arise, go. Look what Jonah did. Verse 3. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish, From the presence of the Lord, he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. He could not bring himself to love what God loved, to feel compassion for an evil people. Jonah wanted to decide who could hear the gospel. That's the decision he made. I'll decide who hears the gospel. To decide who has, who is fit for the beauty of fellowship with God. Jonah made a choice and it was a rebellious response to God's compassionate commission. He made a rebellious response. God commissioned him to go. He charged Jonah to arise and, and immediately go to Nineveh. That's the language. Do it now, Jonah, go. We find out later that there really is a time frame on Nineveh's salvation. You need to change soon or destruction is coming soon. God tell him, go, go now. But Jonah rose. He did, he rose. But he rose to flee to Tarshish, which I think is a word, uh, just a terrible city name. Uh, Tarshish always gets me. Let me give you a visual for this decision and I'll do it through a map. Here's a map of Jonah's decision making. <laughs> So the starting place is the green uh, GPS locator there. Joppa. You can see Gath Heifer is where, he, where he's from. And then he goes down to Joppa, right beneath it. When you're heading towards Egypt, that's Jerusalem, that area. It's Israel. Um, so then he decides not to go to Nineveh where God called him, which is the blue area. He decides to go where God didn't call him, almost complete opposite. There's almost no way he could have gone more opposite than what God called him to Tarshish, which is now in Spain. So really Nineveh is basically Iraq today. Tarshish is is modern day Spain. And at the time, the world didn't know anything further away than Spain. Jonah was going to the edge of the world to get away from God's call on him. He went the complete opposite of what God called him to, which makes you wonder about Jonah. What did he understand about God? Did he think God was contained to Israel? Did he really believe that he could escape God? Or was he just trying to make sure God wouldn't bring salvation to Nineveh through him? He's like, God, you can do it through anybody else, but not me. I'm going to be far away. There's no way you can do it through me. Did he think God would just kill him instead for his disobedience? God, I'd rather die in the ocean than bring the message of salvation to those people. Jonah doesn't give us his reason here. But we know broadly his reason was that he didn't love what God loved. Had he loved what God loved, he would have gone immediately in the right direction. He didn't desire what God desired. God tells us what he desires. In 2 Peter 3, 9, 
It's one of my favorite verses, 2 Peter 3.9. You can flip over there if you'd like. 2 Peter 3.9. It's just one verse, but it's magnificent. It says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness. Don't you just trust God? But is patient toward you. Man, I'm not even patient toward my own kids sometimes. And God is patient towards me. He is patient toward you. He's not slow, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. It's true in Second Peter. It's true in Jonah because it's true of God. God desires repentance. He loves to forgive. He loves to show mercy. Blessed are the merciful because God is merciful. Jonah cared about the Ninevites finding mercy. He just cared deeply that it not be offered to them. He didn't want them to have the mercy. He said, God, don't do it. He was really against God here. Not just, not just disobedient and choosing not to obey. He was going against God in his heart here. He was in his heart in rebellion against God. He wanted the opposite of what God wanted. This wasn't just a rejection of a compassionate commission. This was a rejection of God himself. And this statement is true of everyone who who denies God's call to make disciples. When we deny God's call to make disciples, we're doing what Jonah did and we're rejecting God himself. It's not just a matter of convenience of whether we'll accept this one command. It's do we accept who God is as a God who shows mercy and has compassion on mankind? Are we the ones saying, no, God, I will show mercy on who I want to show mercy on, not on on who you desire to show mercy on. I'll pick and choose, God. I'm withholding the gospel for only those who fit my conveniences and my comfort. That's a rejection of God himself. The commission was not given separate of God. It was given out of God's nature and character God's people make disciples because of who God is. Jonah was going to Nineveh because of who God is. Because our God is a God of compassion who desires repentance. Because God is kind and forgiving and loving, he offers himself to humanity. And he chose us to proclaim that message. He chose Jonah to go to the Ninevites and he has chosen us, church, to go into our world with that message. Really, we have to run away from God not to obey him. We have to turn and rebel and say, no, God, I don't want what you want. That's what Jonah did. Jonah ran away. He ran away from the temple. God manifested his presence in the temple. There was a special presence of God in the temple. So when he says he ran away from God, there really was a sense of he was running away from where God dwelt. He dwelt in the temple. And he did run away from that temple where, that was based in, in Israel. Jonah went, ran away from this. But church, now it's different for us. There's no temple to run away from. You are his temple His special presence isn't a building to be run from. His special presence is present at 
all times in his people. That's monumental. That's a gigantic shift in how God deals with his people. That now his special presence doesn't sit over an ark in a temple somewhere, but it is in his people. God is with us. We don't run away like Jonah did. It's because he's with us, because he's present with us at all times, that we can pray in Jesus' name. It's why we can endure hardship and suffering. It's why we can proclaim the gospel with power. It's because the Holy Spirit is present in us, church. So where can we run? Where can we escape? Where would you imagine to take a ship? That you might be able to escape the one who dwells powerfully in you. Jonah tried, (laughs) but Jonah failed. The text says he went down to Joppa. Then he went down into the boat. Then we'll find out he went down into the sea. Then he went down into the belly of a fish. There's no good path away from God. Every path away from God is down. The path away from God leads to death and destruction. Down, down, down. It may not be into a boat. It may not be into Joppa. But when we step away from God, we are stepping towards death and destruction because God himself is the source of life. It's only by God's grace then that rebels can turn. It's only by his unmerited favor that we can turn. And just like God was calling the Ninevites to repent, now Jonah needed to do the same. Jonah was putting himself in the same situation that he was called to call, to call people away from. He thought he paid the price for getting on that ship. Think about this. If you look at the text, it says he paid. He paid to get on the ship. He paid his fee. He thought he paid the price for getting on the ship. He he paid the fare, but that wasn't the true price. The price of his sin wasn't a monetary fee to get on a boat. He was missing out on the joy of obedience in Christ. I think you heard that, but let's just make sure you heard that. The price of his sin wasn't just the cost of a fare to get on a boat. It was the cost of filling and having the deep abiding joy of obedience in Christ. The true cost was missing out on the intimate fellowship with God. Of being allowed to be a partner in what God is doing. What a gift. He said no. He chose the comfort of the world and the pride of his heart over the fullness of God. Paul prayed for the church to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. That we may be filled with all the fullness of God. This can only happen when our hearts are conformed to his. How can we be filled with all the fullness of God when our hearts are in rebellion against him? We say, God, we want something different than you. How empty. How sad. This is the power of the Christian life. This is the joy of the Christian life. Is the fullness of God in us. The spirit residing in us. And it can only happen when we love what he loves. 
And he loves people. He loves his people. He loves his creation, the people who bear his image. That's a question for us today. Will we love what God loves? Will we love what God loves? I mean, do you? Do you love what God loves? More than anything, do you love what God loves? As you evaluate that question, I think here's a simple rubric. (laughs) A simple rubric for knowing, do I love what God loves? And it's, what does repentance and obedience look like in your life? A life of loving what God loves is a life that looks like obedience. As Christians, it's, it's an obedient life. Obedient to the word of God. And how can you know the word of God? How can you know how to be obedient if you don't know the word of God? If you're not reading, if you're not in what he's given us to make himself known to us. Are you obeying? And are you repenting? Look, we're not better than Jonah. We're not people who are immune from rebelling against God. We are rebels ourselves. We're sinners by nature. So are we willing to admit that? Are we willing to turn back? Are we people who repent? Do you love what God loves? Are you a person who's repenting of your sin? Are you turning away? Are you saying, I don't just not desire my sin, I desire Christ more than anything? And are you obeying him? We sing a song, bow down before him. I'm standing up in front of my seat singing, bow down before him. And as a church, isn't that our posture? Bow down before him. What does surrender to Jesus look like? What does bowing down before Jesus look like? Getting on your knees is great to bow down, to show your humility before him. But you know what's better? Obedience, repentance. Bowing down before Christ looks like a life of obedience and repentance. Obedience and repentance. That's not a life of guilt and shame, by the way. That's a life of joy and love. That we are pursuing our great love with joy. And we are glad to repent and obey. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, I don't, I don't understand this. You said Jesus would take my consequence. Yes. He said if you confess with your mouth that he is Lord and believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And boy, do I want you to be saved. <laughs> and I don't want it nearly as much as the God of the universe wants it for you. Would you make him your Lord and Savior today? It's just as simple as believing. It's a faith issue. Call out to him. Tell him, God, I want you to be my salvation. I don't want to rely on myself. If you're here and you are a Christian, keep evaluating. Not in a spirit of guilt and shame, but in a spirit of joy and love. Repent and obey. Let me pray over you. Father, I thank you that you have loved us enough to reveal yourself to us. That in the same way that you gave your word to Jonah, you have given your word powerfully to us. That we can hold it as a text in our hand because you have given it to us. God, we trust your goodness for this. We're thankful for 
the way that we experience the power of your word. I thank you for sending us. That you have given us a task. Much like you gave Jonah a task to proclaim the truth, you have given us a task to proclaim the truth. God, help us to be faithful. We ask, Father, that if there's someone in the sound of my voice who doesn't know you, that you would break their hearts, that you would show them the truth of their need and the beauty of their salvation. Help them to see King Jesus and desire him above all things. God, we love you. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen.